0: Simply Jesus, Episode 1. I was reading the Great Commission the other day. You know, Matthew 28, 19. That singular Bible verse that stares every Christian in the face and dares you to blink. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Period, right? No. There's a comma there. I must have subconsciously inserted a period there every time I quoted that verse or preached that verse as part of the Great Commission. Now, I knew there was a verse 20, but somehow I became so consumed with evangelizing, baptizing, and converting that I unintentionally overlooked the rest of Christ's Great Commission. Verse 20 teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. When I read that verse this time, the words after the comma refuse to be ignored, especially the all things part. Of course, I've taught the words of Jesus Christ throughout my ministry, 25 years of ministry, 15, 16 of those years, an ordained pastor. But have I taught All things? Think about that for just a second. Wouldn't you say you know more about what Jesus did than exactly what he said? I get it. In our culture, we're taught actions speak louder than words. But as Christians, we have to remember John 1 and 1 tells us that Jesus was word before he was flesh, and that his word is indeed action. Christ never spoke an idle word. Everything he says is immediately active. With that in mind, is it really enough just to know that Jesus turned water into wine or that he healed the sick or raised the dead, that he walked on water, and ultimately that he died on a cross? Is it enough to know that he rose again? I fear that our view of Jesus is often so summed up like this. He did amazing miracles, he saved humanity, and he said a lot of very good stuff. Come on, that stuff that he said? Jesus said, the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Teaching all of Christ's commands is sharing life. So, that fresh reading of Matthew 28 and 20 the other day, Levied a brand new burden of conviction upon me. Yeah, verse 19 packs an indisputable punch of its own, and I must continue to obey that part of the commission as well. But can I leave the second part undone just because I'm evangelizing? Absolutely not. It is precisely from that conviction of the Holy Spirit that this podcast was birthed. I'm sure there are countless blogs vlogs, YouTubes, podcasts, many different media outlets and products on the topic of Bible apologetics, and praise God for them. But I must allow the intelligent design experts to defend creationism. I'll let the Hebraic scholars unveil the mysteries of the Ark of the Covenant. Bible prophecy teachers, they can, they can cover Daniel's 70 weeks and John's visions of the beast. And the church growth experts and leaders, they can unpack the latest systems and strategies. But on this podcast, it will be simply Jesus. His words, all things. With that said, I'm not just starting a podcast to satisfy a personal conviction. I'm not just checking a box on my ministerial duty list either. I'm on a quest. To truly know Jesus Christ, and maybe that will help you know him better. Not the caricature that Hollywood portrays of Jesus. Not just the two dimensional Bible character that the Sunday school curriculum teaches us. And certainly not the watered down, emasculated, and culturally reimagined Jesus that Christian marketeers are selling us these days. Now I realize. I can't know him like Peter, James, and John knew him. I mean, they physically fellowshiped with Jesus daily for three and a half years. But I can know him like the Apostle Paul knew him, right? He never walked with Jesus. There is no evidence that Paul witnessed Christ's messages or his miracles. Yet Paul still told the Christians in Philippi, Philippians 3, verse 7 through 11, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Paul's goal was the same as mine, that I may know him. Paul clearly said that he was willing to lose all things so he could know all things about Jesus. Paul believed that knowing Jesus more would conform him to Christ's power and fellowship, conform him to Christ's resurrection and his sufferings. Just like Paul, I can only know Jesus through his teachings his commands, his parables, even his rebukes. Yes, all things, even his sufferings. So with the help of Christ's spirit, here we go. Simply Jesus, episode one, The Commands. John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Since Jesus told us to teach all things that I have commanded you, let's start with his commands, the direct commandments that Jesus Christ gave, and in this episode, the importance of those commands. This isn't a biographical podcast, but if you're listening, you probably believe that Jesus is God, and if he's God, then he is King of kings and Lord of lords. And if he is these things, then he is also the captain of the hosts of heaven's armies, right? Doesn't it blow your mind that when Jesus speaks of his commands, he does it in the context of love? He's the captain of the host of heaven's armies, but he's speaking in a context of love. I mean, the typical lord or ruler in ancient times would say, if you don't want to be imprisoned, keep my commandments. Or an ancient king might say, if you want my protection and provision, keep my commandments. A mighty conqueror or captain of an army might break it down this way. If you want to live, keep my commandments. But Jesus just says, if you love me. If you love me, then you'll keep my commandments. Only Jesus Christ could deal with the juxtaposition of obedience versus disobedience in the context of love. Everyone else I know talks about obedience in terms of, if you obey, then you will get this benefit. Or, if you don't obey, then you will get this consequence. It doesn't matter whether it's a parent and a child or a boss and an employee. For instance, parent. If you're a good girl... I'll get you an ice cream. Boss, if you don't finish that project by Friday, you're fired. No, Jesus says, if you love me, then you'll obey me. He's not trying to gain compliance from people. Jesus is simply asking, do you really love me? Let's be honest. When you were a child, did you obey the rules at home and at school because you loved your parent, or you loved your teacher, or was there some compliance involved there? I'm not questioning if you love your parents. I'm just suggesting we don't typically think of obeying commands as love. It's it, obedience is not a love thing, right? But it is with Jesus. We usually obey because there are consequences if we don't. What about on the job? Do you obey your boss? Because you love her or or do you comply because you get paid to do so, or maybe you get promoted to do so? That's fine for work, but don't call it love. I'm telling you it is of the utmost importance that we know that we understand and that we obey Christ's command just because we love him. Oh. And he wasn't finished with verse 15. He goes on to say in verse 21, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved of my father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jesus keeps on hammering this point home in verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him and he doesn't quit hammering. Chapter 15, look at chapter, uh, chapter 15, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Wow. Is he being repetitive? Is he, is he just being redundant? No. I think he's just making his message clear. The one who keeps my commandment is the one who loves me. If you accept that statement, then you have to accept the other side of that same statement. The one who does not keep my commandments does not love me. We can't disobey Christ's commands and say that we love him. Jesus also said, I will manifest myself to those Who obey me? What manifestations of Christ do we seek the most? I don't want to speak for you, but I want him to manifest his love. I love it when he manifests his mercy, his grace, forgiveness, healing. I desire Jesus to manifest all of these attributes and benefits of himself more for me every day in my life. But he goes on to say, if you keep my words, I will make my home with you. He's not talking about later on when we get to heaven. He's talking about living in us right now. We talk about Jesus abiding and we sing songs about his presence and dwelling in his presence or him dwelling in us. And all of these abiding and dwelling words are used in our songs and in our church speak. If we truly understood what he was saying, we'd be less focused on whether a song was fast or slow. We'd be less concerned with whether the lights were up or whether they were down. Whether the proper mood was being set for Jesus to make a visitation. What we're learning is that Jesus really doesn't want a visitation. He wants a habitation. He wants a place to live. The Apostle Paul understood this truth. And he addressed it directly in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. There really are only three options. A. A we either reject any connection with Jesus at all, B, we seek periodic visitations with Jesus, or C, we become a habitation for Jesus, where he can live and dwell and abide. If you choose C, that requires obeying Christ's commands. Finally, Jesus compares his love for us to our love for him. There's no greater love than if someone lays down his life for his friends. Of course, we all know that Jesus is the only one who died in our place on the cross. He's talking about himself there, of course. But then he says, My friends do whatever I command. So his love for me cost him his life, and my love for him will at least cost me my preferences, at least cost me my will. That's not all. Jesus wasn't just being redundant in John chapter 14 and John chapter 15. He was sharing possibly the greatest revelation a Christian could have. We don't do anything for Jesus out of compliance. We don't refrain from doing anything out of compliance. We don't obey because of the consequences or even because of the reward. We do everything because we love him. I believe in a literal heaven, and I do believe in a literal hell. But I cannot obey Jesus Christ just because I want to go to one and I desperately don't want to go to the other. My obedience of Christ's commands must be done just because I love him. Now, everyone listening knows that we all disobey Jesus sometimes. So the obvious question is, does that mean I don't love Jesus? Worse yet, does that mean he doesn't love me? Be careful how you answer this question. Too many are quick to throw out careless responses like this. Of course you still love Jesus. Love is a matter of the heart. God knows your heart, so he knows that you love him. (laughs) Wrong answer. Jesus himself said he's looking for obedience. He's not just looking at the feelings of our heart. Here's another wrong answer. Your relationship with Jesus is unchanged when you disobey him because grace has covered all of our disobedience. Think about this for just a second. Shouldn't Jesus be the only one who judges whether I love him or not? Who are we to rationalize for others? Who are we to rationalize for ourselves? According to his own words, Jesus knows I love him when I keep his commandments, and he knows that I love him when I do what he tells me to do. But he also knows that when I disobey him, I am not actively loving him. He even said this Luke chapter 6, verse 46 But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? (laughs) But here's where grace comes in Christ's love always has a response to our disobedience. Revelation chapter 3, verse 18 through 20. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. The grace of God, the grace of Jesus Christ, doesn't cover our disobedience. When Jesus told John to write a letter to the disobedient church of Laodicea, he revealed exactly. How His grace and love handle disobedience. First, His grace counsels us to buy His gold to pay a price. Then, His love offers us brand new garments that are His righteousness. His love offers us eye salve so we can see what His will is and that it is more important than our own will. He said His love chastens us. It corrects us and it rebukes us. He doesn't condone our disobedience. He doesn't throw a blanket of grace over our disobedience. What does His grace give us? Counsel, new righteousness, I salve, correction. These are all beautiful things that Christ's love does for us when we disobey. What do we do with God's response? Verse 19 says, we repent. And when we do, his love places him at the door of our hearts. Repentance brings Christ closer to us, knocking at the door, speaking to us, offering what? Offering to resume communion with us again. I can almost hear the gears turning in some of your heads right now. Internal questions spinning around each other, competing for priority and first attention. Is obeying and teaching all the commands of Jesus really necessary? Wouldn't anyone else and everyone else be saying this if it was true? Maybe maybe this guy is just a bit too zealous. If I know all of Christ's commands, won't that make me more accountable? You might ask yourself, won't that just make me feel more condemned than I already do or make me feel worse when I fail? If I try to obey Christ's commands, isn't that me trying to save myself? Isn't that kind of salvation by works? And won't that discount God's grace working in my life? As those questions float around in your mind, some of them from other people, some of them from within yourself, may I ask you one final question? Do you really want to know Jesus? simply Jesus.